In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. ...ground on how I got started looking into this particular subject area. And that is the impact of medications, particularly psychiatric medications, and also, of course, some of the things we do recreationally, and how they impact our sexual health and our sexual function. First, I was at a peer conference, the, I believe it was Quad S, Society for the Scientific Study of Sexuality, and that's in our organization, we call it quads.org, um, and their, their website is sexscience.org. And our plenary speaker at this one conference was Dr. Helen Fisher, and she was addressing that for her, and some of you may know who uh, Dr. Fisher is, Helen's fabulous. She's a cultural anthropologist who focuses on the brain chemistry and the behavior patterns of what people are, like how they are reacting. And in her presentation, she was looking at the impact of antidepressants on people's ability to be in relationship. And her comment was, if your, if these, when these medications are being used, they wipe out the brain's ability or greatly reduce it to create dopamine. And dopamine, as she referred to it, is your fall in love brain chemistry hormone. Now, here's the deal. If you can't fall in love, how do you create relationship? Then how do you go on to create family, create other things that we consider to be sort of the, the tenets and the basis of, of our society? I mean, we as human beings are really not a lot different from honeybees. We like to be around others of the same type, hence cities, and we like to create more of the same thing around us, hence families. So Dr. Fisher's presentation had me look at, wow, I am seeing many people come and have comments to me of, I really am, I don't feel like I can, I'm not falling in love, I'm not connecting to someone, I'm not being able to maintain relationships, I find all of the other people around me just aren't willing to either sign up or do something. That's usually in about the 25 to 45 year old age range. And I thought, is this something that we haven't been looking at? And then my guest for this evening is really added a whole new dimension to it that I did not, I had not seen or heard before. 
And tonight my guest is Dr. Stuart Shipko. He is a psychiatrist in private practice here in Pasadena, California. And he also was doing a presentation at a peer organization on the persistent impact. Persistent is a medicalese term for permanent. Persistent impact of sexual um, impacts once you are off uh, the antidepressants, anti-anxiety, and so that's why this evening I want to bring this forward because what I think is happening, and Stuart, are you on with me now? Yeah, I'm here, yes. Hi. Oh, oh good. Thanks so much for being here. I actually think, Stuart, what we have when we are talking about people's relationships now, I think when we look at the meds and things, we might also be looking at the smoking gun that we have not picked up yet. And the reason I say that is because I am seeing so many people not be able to maintain relationship. And often when I ask them, are you taking anything? Often they are or they have been. Now, I'm going to lob this over the fence to you. And I'd like to start with some of the questions that I, you know, first had sent to you. So... As a psychiatrist, as a, you know, a medical doctor who went into this area, how did you first start noticing this? And was it a growing trend or a couple of people? Or, were, or did you actually see other papers that had, you, that had you sort of like put it on your radar? I had a website, um, and I, I mentioned this on the website. And a lot of other people responded they had the same problem, and that would be in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then the first time I ever really wrote about it was just as a little sideline I mentioned in Surviving Panic Disorder where I said I, I had observed it. And um, I, I had observed it, and it seemed pretty common, but, you know, I never wanted to publish any case studies because all the patients were on more than one drug, they were uh, had more than one illness. It took me a very long time to gather uh, three really clean cases of people who hardly even had an emotional problem, who were young and otherwise healthy and only on one drug for a mm-hmm. brief period of time. It took me years to find those. Mm-hmm. And then I did publish it. And then I published those case studies when I when I could publish some good data. Mm-hmm. But, so, I mean, I think your, your whole idea is fascinating. I mean, um, I have observed at least in a few patients who are on long-term um, SSRIs that they're having problems myself. I mean, that, that uh, there's sort of like, in some people, it seems like, They've talked about there being an emotional blankness when it comes to connecting with other people, which is, they still want to. They still have a longing for it. Mm-hmm. But but um, they're not really, like, driven to it like a magnetic force. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, what the other thing that had me look at this, and, you know, you and I both, you know, see a lot of studies, see a lot of things being put forward, and what I remember is, I think it was two weeks ago, the woman who 
wrote the book on that that the men simply are wanting to remain in a sort of a pre-adolescent, not have to grow up, not have to hit the certain parameters that their fathers did. It you know between age 20 and 25, the majority were married, and then it started a family. And she's saying that she thinks that that these men are not growing up, and that the women are doing more growing up and and wanting to have someone on an equal level. Well, again, I think. What we're not turning, I think we've forgotten a room in the relationship equation and we haven't turned the light on in it, which is people are literally having themselves not want, they're they're medicating themselves out of relationship. And when I look at what is happening in colleges, what is happening for young men who are, you know, taking smart drugs, while studying, you know, their study buddy, whatever they would like to call it. And it is impacting their ability to be sexually functional. I mean, they should be able to, you know, to, you know, let's be really candid here. At that age, the comment is hammer wood with their erections, and they're having erectile difficulties. So are, are you, are you uh, connecting that to the antidepressants? Is that what you think? I am saying that I think we have a generation of kids coming forward who have been so medicated on behavior meds coming into universities, coming into colleges now, that I think we have actually impacted their ability to have sexual function. I'm laughing because no one's ever said that before, but when you think of the scale and the impact, think about the percentage of college-age kids going in on antidepressants. I don't know what it is. You know, it's it's uh, roughly 10% of the general population. Mm-hmm. The more, more educated and insured college students may have higher access and a higher percentage, but you're looking at a high percentage of people on these these drugs, you know, if we think about, if ten, you know, most, I think the sexual dysfunction, it, it occurs uh, probably around 75% of the time in one form or another. Mm-hmm. So if you say that we got 10% of the young guys going into college on one of these drugs, and of that 10%, 75% are having some form of sexual dysfunction, that's a huge number of people. It is. It, I mean, it's massive and you as a physician know that there is a complete difference between how you would do dosing and also how the growing maturing body reacts differently to medications than an adult body and brain reacts differently and you know that, that that's true but i do want to say that interestingly enough mm-hmm. i've observed children and young you know, in adolescence, to be maybe even a little bit uh, more facile at going off these drugs. I think that they're, they have tougher nervous systems to begin with. Is it tougher, or is it they have greater neuroplasticity because they're still growing? Yeah, I don't know what it is, but, I mean, I do know that, like, sometimes it's easier to take kids off a whole bunch of drugs than it is adults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, when we we have about one minute until our break, and then you uh-huh. and I can have a little chat on our break. Uh, but when I come back, I want to go over, when we speak of the numbers, I have here in front of me an article from the Wall Street Journal from December 28th of last year, talking on the number and the percentages 
of medications. And then what I'd also like to do in our next segment is see what are some of the things that, you know, what are the likely impacts and what are the things we might be able to do to ameliorate or to interrupt them. And we're going to go to break here in probably, are we coming on, Anna? Here come the tunes. <laughs> Stay with us. My guest is Dr. Stuart Shipko, and I am Lou Paget. We will be back right after this break. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Come learn with me as the show created as much for the host as the audience. Join host Danny Walker, Wednesdays at 11, noon central, on toginet.com, as she invites you to get your boots on and walk through life's triumphs and troubles with her. Come learn with me as the beginning of a movement, a community filled with caring people who share information, allowing everyone to participate, gain, and grow. What works? What doesn't? Your host, Danny Walker, is a self-proclaimed student, not expert, and she'll share very candidly passions, perspectives, failures, her family's battle with illness, her restaurant inspirations to keep being a wife, parent, and more, all the while including industry experts, disease survivors, and guests to add to the mix. For more on Danny and her show, go to dannywalker.com, D-A-N-I-Walker.com. If you've ever searched high and low to find answers to sickness, disease, and debt, come learn with me and let's get our questions answered together. Come learn with me with host Danny Walker, Wednesdays at 11, noon central on toginet.com. Hello everybody, this is Pete Dix of Beatles and Beyond. You're listening to George Harrison jamming in the background here as I'm preparing the next show for you. So why don't you listen to Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix on this radio station. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. for coming back uh, with myself and my guest, Dr. Stuart Shipko. Just before the break, we were speaking about the number of people, just as an example, going into college, young men who might be on medications that might be impacting their sexual function. Now, let us not say that we are only going to be, you know, speaking um, uh, about men because there are also so many women. I have done presentations where women came up to me afterwards and said, what can I do? And this is a young med student said, what can I do? I have absolutely no libido. And she had, she just graduated from med school, had no idea it was connected to the meds she was taking because she'd been taking anti-anxiety while she was in um, med school. But, um, Stuart, I was going to go over this article just to give people an idea of how many meds are being given within the, and this is Wall Street Journal, 
December 28th uh, last year, more than 25% of kids and teens in the U.S. take prescriptions on a regular basis. For ADHD medications, 24 million for children 0 to 19. In the 0 to 19, it's 17 million. Antihypertensive, this is the one that I was like, what? Children, 0 to 9, 1.8 million children are on antihypertensives. Oh, wow, that's really amazing. And the antihypertensive overall for 0 to 19 is 5.2 million. Antipsychotics, 6.5 million for 0 to 19. And antidepressants, 9.6. I mean, that's a huge number of medications. That's so, staggering. And this, the psychiatric medications commonly cause sexual dysfunction, not just the um, antidepressants, which are the worst, mm -hmm. but also those antipsychotics do. They, they typically cause some degree of sexual dysfunction. They're those dopamine blockers, you know. Mm -hmm. So they, they block the brain's ability to create dopamine, then you don't fall in love, and then you don't have sexual function? Well, I don't know if I want to make all those connections, but you mentioned earlier that dopamine is sort of the coin of the realm for emotional connection and feeling good. Mm -hmm. You block the dopamine, it doesn't just block the psychotic symptoms. Yeah, and here's the thing. Can you explain to people that there are dopamine receptors not just in certain areas of your body? But they're like, so how do you want me to explain that? They're, they're all over the brain and the body. They're in yeah. the blood vessels and the gut and the lymphocytes and the brain, too. Yeah, they and, are and, all over the body. Right, and sometimes people think they're only going to have an impact when they take a medication in their brain, and then they may not realize why they're having an upset stomach. And oh, you know, it's like that can happen. Mm -hmm. but, you know, getting back to your whole idea, that's amazing. You think about it. Uh, you know, the scientific study that would prove this would be you would have to predict that we're going to have a big decline in birth rate in the future. This may not I, be the only thing, but you'd predict that. I will tell you right now, Stuart, I am seeing the leading edge of that from a trending in relationships and a trending in sexual function, particularly among young women. They are not finding a partner that they feel is a partner to partner with, to create family with, and so their age... So, Lou, let's get a little bit more specific on some of this. You know, I don't have a huge population of this kind of patient in my practice, mm -hmm. but I do have some. Mm -hmm. And uh, one I'm thinking of in particular, um, I mean, she would like to find a man mm -hmm. um, and would like to have an, an intimate relationship with a man, but... She has no sex drive and has never had sex drive and has been on these pills as long as she can remember. So, it, you know, you can't, it's not a big sample, but, you know, really she relates it to the pills and it seems like plausible. But what I do see is that, I don't know how to explain it because this isn't a psychiatric term or something, but that animalistic drive, that sort of like foolish love, love that makes fools of us all, that sort of initiates relationships, this is, seems to be lacking. You know, there's just that little spark is gone. Mm -hmm. oh. and, and, and that's the thing that I'm being told by 
the, some of the women who have been on these meds, that that is how they find they can't. Their, their comment is, I feel like I can't fall in love, and I want to. And the, my population that I'm speaking of is women who are in my seminars, women who um, you know, email me, women who are conversationally, anecdotally, knowing what I do, you know, best-selling author in this area. It's kind of like that's the entryway for them to say, you know what, I have this issue going on here. What women also often are not aware of is that their oral birth control can also be something that wipes out their libido. And Absolutely, and the oral birth control can wipe it out permanently, even if you stop taking the birth control. Now that and thank you because I know some women who they just they were they had a very lusty libido and then they were you know their late teens early twenties they went on a birth control and it was gone and it never returned poof it evaporated let's you know so while in in this next section what I'd also like to do is Stuart walk through the impacts of what um, antidepressants mainly will do to your sexual function. Or do you want, you want me to do that right now? Are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay. Because, <laughs> okay. I mean, there's, I think there's three general areas that impact, which are interest, arousal, and ability to orgasm. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a mixed bag. You can get any one or a combination of all three in a given person. Mm-hmm. So um, you have people with no interest at all who, if you can get them past that to a point of friction, they'll um, they'll start enjoying it. Or you can have people with a lot of interest but very little arousal, which in a man needs very little erection, but they can still have an orgasm with minimal or no erection. Well, actually, we, we have, have orgasms. I mean, you have, I mean, you see these different combinations of sexual changes. And then there's also another, I mean, in a rare and much smaller group, you sometimes see, particularly in women more than men, you see greatly enhanced sexual desire functioning. So, I mean, you sometimes... Go ahead. It's not common. And, and is there one particular medication that does that? You know, um, the, the SSRI, the serotonin-affecting antidepressants, are all about the same. Paxil's probably the worst of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that group includes um, Celexa, Lexapro, Zoloft, Prozac. So also the same side effects occur from Cymbalta and Effexor, Bluevox. They're all roughly in the same category. I don't know if I mentioned them all. Now, Wellbutrin, mm-hmm. a depressant, and that's, like, that's more like an amphetamine. It's like a stimulant-type drug, and it doesn't actually interfere with the functioning as much. It does in a small number of people. But And also, sometimes, they use Wellbutrin as an antidote to SSRI, serotonin drug-induced sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I've, I've heard of that. Have you also heard of, oh gosh, the medication that they give people to stop, the, the, there's a brand name for it, 
for stopping smoking for smoking cessation. And I just heard a comment, someone saying that it was Wellbutrin. Oh, Not there is one. Sense. It was an old one, yeah. They don't, it's been out for a long time. They just, they repackage Wellbutrin as a stop smoking agent. But it was never considered to be like enormously effective, minimally effective. <laughs> but, why are you laughing? Because <laughs> when, you, when you say it's like, never been found to be overly effective, it's like, you know, here's the thing that I want people to get from this conversation. You have got to be your own consumer advocate, and you have got to know and educate yourself. And, Stuart, if you have websites or places where people can go to get information so that they know what the impacts can be for those people who are on them, what they can do to, as we've spoken of this, their new yeah, normal. You know, I want, I want to emphasize something. Mm-hmm. Uh, these same drugs that cause the sexual dysfunction, um, mm-hmm. in some people, they can have disastrous withdrawal reactions. So that when I talk about this stuff in public, I always want to caution that you don't want to just say, oh, my, if you're having this kind of problem, if you're on an antidepressant and having this problem, you don't want to go, oh, my God, and stop the drug as soon as possible. That's very dangerous. So that in the long you. Been on it. So you don't want it, just because we're talking about this, it's not to encourage anyone to stop taking these. No. there's. I mean, that's what most people are aware of, or at least have heard the media concepts of, the homicidality, suicidality going on and going off of certain medications. And... That's, you know, in the same way, I mean, this is impacting what your brain is functioning like. So it is something... Oh, it's terrifying. You know know what's really terrifying? What's terrifying is the high percentage of our military on these same drugs. You know, Peter Bregan is a great psychiatrist, has pointed out that um, if you have somebody in a civilian life who is running around with a machine gun, you probably wouldn't give one of these drugs to them. <laughs> you would probably consider it you know, a, a more serious issue to just hand the person one of these drugs, which also they definitely do predispose to violence, hostility, agitation, and in my opinion, it also contributes to uh, homicides as well as suicides. Well, exactly, and we're going to go to the break in approximately one minute, and we'll come, we'll come back and discuss some of the things um, that you and I have talked about with, with Peter Bregan's work. And I also, I mean, and to speak to the military, when I do the presentation to the severely injured soldiers on sexual function along with the other panel, which I do uh, once a year for um, a group, a, a nonprofit group, the number of meds that these soldiers are on is staggering and where you know we have we try and present something to give them a way to connect in their relationships and their marriages and when we come back from our mid-break break dr stuart shipko and i will go over what are some possible things and some possible um, ideas for people who want to go off and who want to regain sexual function and sensation please stay with us
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Mind Matters is the show that dares to ask what's on your mind. Take this opportunity to join Dr. Larry Ross, clinical psychologist, and Joan Duhane, licensed clinical social worker, as they combined have over 50 years of experience in dealing with your mind. Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Toginet Radio. Come be a part of Pat Sloan's Creative Talk Radio. Her goal is to inspire you to be creative every day. Pat Sloan's Creative Talk Radio, Monday afternoons at 4, 3 Central on Toginet.com. Pat lives and breathes being creative through her quilt design business, but her creativity and interests have no bounds. On her show, she'll be introducing us to guests through interviews and talks that have a creative life. We'll learn more about what goes on in the world of quilting. And since Pat, like many of us, is creative in many ways, she'll also introduce us to creative people in other crafts like knitting, crochet, paper arts, and lots more. Pat is also an author, a lecturer, designer, and cheerleader of many. She's tried her hand at making almost everything you can think of and does many crafts to keep her inspired to create. Check out her website, patsloan.com. What makes Pat most happy is to inspire others to be creative every day. So join us for Pat Sloan's Creative Talk Radio, Monday afternoons at 4, 3 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Stuart Shipko. And Dr. Shipko is a psychiatrist in private practice in Pasadena, California. Before the break, we were um, talking on the number of... Uh, military that are on these medications and that, you know, good grief, would you give a gun to someone who might have the potential for a, you know, homicidal activity? Hardly. But anyways, we also were speaking of um, Dr. Peter Bregan, who, now Stuart, correct me, um, was it Prozac that Peter first wrote about? Well, um, no, he has a long when it was distinguished first, when it was career. First his his work predates the drugs coming out. He, you know, one of his big things he did was he stopped psychosurgery. Ay ay ay! He took he took on some real experts and academic institutions and really kind of actually shut them down because there wasn't really the scientific data to support that kind of surgery. Was, um, were these were these lobotomies? Yes, yeah, lobotomies. So Peter's long been, you know, an advocate for good medical care and evidence-based care. These, uh, what happened was that when Prozac came out, there was a famous case where the Westbecker case, where they had clear evidence that. Prozac caused homicidal, suicidal problems, and there, there, 
Peter had all the information. He was all set to give it, but the drug company paid off the uh, plaintiffs during the case. And not only did they pay them off, they paid them off and told them to keep it secret and that they were going to play out the trial to generate case law. Charming. And that's what happened. The judge later was was very suspicious, and later he actually looked into it himself, and I think it was verified. I don't know that anyone's hand was slapped. but So that's where Peter started, and he has had access to the inner documents of the drug companies. Like, um, you know, when the drug companies submit information to the FDA, Mm-hmm. They don't give their they don't give out their raw data. No. But Dr. Bregan has had access to the actual raw data to see what they do with it. And it's clear that they're pretty manipulative and that they they really do a lot of tweaking to the data. But, uh, yeah. Yes, yes. So anyways, uh, I don't know. I've asked Bregan to join me in the fight against sexual dysfunction, but he hasn't he hasn't responded so far. You know, one of the things that cracks me up is that one drug company came out with a a drug it didn't get passed by the FDA but they wanted to use an SSRI antidepressant as a drug that was going to treat female hypoactive sexual desire disorder right i mean, crack, you know i read their i read their information they submitted it originally as an antidepressant mm-hmm. and in that data there, there was a much greater incidence of sexual dysfunction than in the controls. And they resubmitted the data again as a drug to help hypoactive female sexual disorder. <laughs> and oh somehow that went that. away in the new study. <laughs> no, and I remember, I remember so many women who are, you know, um, therapists and educators um, in our field just being outraged by this. Unfortunately, it did not get passed, but there was a huge amount of money behind it from Europe. Can you imagine that a drug, I mean, forget about what the data is and what I have access to. You tell me it's an SSRI-type drug, and I can tell you, you can certainly expect conservatively a 50% incident of some some sort of sexual dysfunction. How could you take that category of drug and tout it as a cure for <laughs> lack of sexual desire? <laughs> because, because, because this is called spin factor. <laughs> and most people, as you and I both know, don't have enough awareness in the area of sexuality, sexual function, and, and sexual health to know whether or not they're being told the right stuff or not. Now, when we, when we speak of, you know, the three general areas, lack of interest, lack of arousal, and lack of ability to orgasm. So, let's say you have this happening to you. You are taking an antidepressant, an anti-anxiety, antipsychotic, antihypertensive, and this is happening to you. Now, are you, would you give the same suggestions to women as you would to men? Oh, I guess I don't ever recommend erectile dysfunction drugs to women. Oh, I do for I men. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I do sometimes recommend erectile dysfunction drugs, but, you know, here's what it boils down to. If you've been on the drug for a long time and your sexual dysfunction is gone, 
and you've been having the fantasy about having it back, your odds are probably mm, around 50-50, maybe a little better than that, that you'll get something back. Now, when you say, when we are speaking of the erectile dysfunction drugs, you're talking Viagra, Cialis, Levitra? Yes, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes you get a guy... Sometimes you get a guy with interest in orgasm, but no erection, and those drugs work pretty good, but they really only work for the erection component. Okay. Um, but, you know, basically, if you're on the drug and you've been on it for a long time, I mean, you might, sometimes adding Wellbutrin has worked for people. That's anecdotal, but the one that I, the anecdote I've heard the most. The other stuff doesn't really seem to be, um, I mean, you can try all kinds of things from testosterone and various dopamine agonists. There's anecdotal evidence that everything works, but no statistical study mm-hmm. of any now of it. When, when, if some, how long would you say is a long time for someone to have been on this? Are well, you, you know, years? for the purposes of this discussion, let's say five years or more. Okay. And when you're saying a dopamine agonist, what would that mean for the general population? What would that what well, would that product there's mean? There's special drugs. You have to get them from an endocrinologist, sometimes a urologist. But, I mean, there's all kinds of drugs. But I'll tell you, it's just a, a trial and error process with nothing else behind it that occasionally works. Now, you know, it's been on my mind for a long time about this, and I don't think anyone's really tried it, would be uh, utilizing the person's sexual interest, their desires for intimacy, utilizing their existing abilities to enjoy sexual behaviors, and strengthening it. You know, it's just like a rehabilitation. They've lost some things. They've retained others. Let's see what we can do to to help strengthen the existing. Sexual function rehab. Well, you know... When you have a person who's not able, say, let's say a guy who's um, no longer able to have an orgasm because of his antidepressant, mm-hmm. he still wants to have sexual connection. He's, yes. He's very shy. He doesn't know how to, how do I get my sexual connection? He still wants that. That doesn't go away. The desire for intimacy doesn't go away. You don't stop being a human being. But without this critical erection ability, um, it's not going to be the same. So there, I mean, there are alternatives. Now, I'm not myself a sex therapist, but I've discussed it with uh, sex therapists, and mm-hmm. it seems like a good idea. But I don't think it's really been tried yet. Um, of course, my brain—the wheels in my brain are like this right now. Um, one of the things I would like to cover with people, in, and I believe it was something that you had mentioned to me, and it was in reference to the work that, uh, the papers that Audrey Barak had done. Oh, yes. On the, on the persistent nature of the impact of um, medications, particularly psychiatric medications, on sexual function. And that, and correct my numbers, but this is how I had understood it. Of the people who do go onto these medications, between 50 to 80% have an impact of one of those three areas. The issue is that when they go off, they've tapered off, they've done it, you know, in a very careful way, they've not had any problems going off, they assume that they're going to go back to baseline sexual function. In other words, the sexual function 
reaction sensitivity that they had before they went on the medications. And in of that 50 to 80 percent who have the impact, for 50 percent, it is what they refer to as persistent, which actually translates as it's permanent. Now, how am I doing with my numbers? I think that's what Audrey's work has shown, and I think it agrees with what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing that, you know, then people go, well, why aren't, why aren't doctors telling us this, or, or why are we not being told this? Now, is it that the FDA reporting requirement for severe adverse events, which are uh, events that occur when you are on a drug, is when you are on the drug, not when you are off the drug? And people often do not make the connection of these two, those when they are on the drug, or that it's going to be, that when they go off, it will be persistent. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. When when I got my original cases in my practice of people who had stopped taking the drug and still had the same sexual dysfunction that the drug seemed to have caused, mm-hmm. uh, I sent it, that into the FDA, and they sent me back a, a copy of their um, confirmation of my reports, mm-hmm. and they they were all reported as person being on the drug, not as, this, not as a persistent effect uh, after stopping the drug. And I realized there really wasn't a mechanism to properly report that. And, and you know, when I called the FDA myself after I had heard your presentation, and I asked them specifically, do you have a reporting requirement when people are off the drug? And the woman said, well, there absolutely there is. And I said, well, then why isn't it being done? Now, do we need to have people tell people to do this? I'd love to know what she meant by there is one. I'd like to find that system. <laughs> you know what? I will go back into my file, and, and I, will let, I will let you know who I spoke with and, and what all, all the stuff we went over. Now, we are going to go to a break in probably 30 seconds. Please stay with us. Uh, my guest this evening is Dr. Stuart Shipko. He is a psychiatrist in private practice in Pasadena. And we are talking about one of what I call the smoking gun on what is happening to people's sexual function and what is happening to their relationship function as a result of medications that people are taking and not making the connection that this is the erosion of what's happening for them. So we're going to go to break here in probably 10 seconds. And please stay with us. We will come back and we will look at what are our options and what are the things that you can do for you or for your partner. Thank you so much. Stay with us. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. The Way of the Toddler with hosts Lita and Lori Hamilton is a show unlike any other parenting program you've ever heard. Zen Masters in Diapers? Yes. Join us Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central here on Toginet as we celebrate parenthood as a spiritual path for a journey to inner peace. 
With thought-provoking and spiritually compelling guests, each week Lita and Lori will explore how our children help us with the lessons we came here to learn, adding deeper meaning to our lives and relationships, while giving you valuable gems to add to your unique parenting toolkit. Check out the website, thewayofthetoddler.com. With great humor and honesty, Lita and Lori will demonstrate how inner peace is possible, even when surrounded by poopy diapers and piles of laundry, and what we can learn from the innate wisdom and natural spirituality of our Zen Masters and Diapers. It's The Way of the Toddler with Lita and Lori Hamilton. Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central, here on toginet.com. Adoption, Journey to Motherhood with Mary Beth Wells. Monday mornings at 9, 8 a.m. Central. This is not your typical show about adopting children. This is a shared experience from Mary Beth's heart. Mary Beth will be talking about and covering all the issues pertaining to adoption, including adopted parents, birth parents, adoptees, foster care, and infertility. So, how did your journey to motherhood begin? Or are you still on the path? We want to hear all voices sharing their stories and talking about those issues that are so dear to our hearts. You see, Mary Beth is a birth mom that relinquished a child for adoption and ended up coming full circle by adopting two beautiful little girls from Guatemala. And that led to her starting a doll company about adopting baby dolls from all around the world so that children could choose their own doll and learn about that doll's heritage. For more on Mary Beth and her dolls, go to PreciousBabyDolls.com. Then join us for Adoption, Journey to Motherhood with Mary Beth Wells. Monday mornings at 9, 8 a.m. Central. Remember, the heart knows no boundaries. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, tonight, my guest is Dr. Stuart Shipko, and we are talking on the impact of uh, psychiatric meds on sexual function and ergo on people's ability to remain in relationship. Now, on the break, Stuart, we were just talking briefly on what are some of the things that people have said that they have tried and what have you seen had that, you know, the result has been? I mean, for sexual dysfunction related to these drugs. Right. I mean, people, someone goes off and they go, you know, I really want to try and, you know, get back to... Now, I mean, when we speak of what would one do for sexual function, you know, to rehab someone... Well, the- well, I mean, I think, like we talked about these three basic areas, it's a simplification to just limit it to three. But, you know, interest, arousal, and orgasm. I mean, yeah, I mean, in a very simple concept, a person who just doesn't have interest, they can cognitively override that and know that they will have interest if they keep going. Okay, I mean, we know so that's for a, women. A, a, go ahead. And I'm just saying that's on a very simplistic level, but then, I mean, when you think about, um, like, a man who's not able to get an erection, and sometimes when they can't get an erection, even those drugs don't don't help, um, and they're still going to want to have intimate relationships. I, I think that a real detailed exploration of what other aspects 
or how he wants to proceed to to achieve his needs because it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. I think you know I'm not a sex therapist, but I think that that's exactly what they would need: somebody who could talk about options. Okay, because you know when I. Um uh, Dr. Bernie Zilbergeld was outstanding in presenting what he knew after years of having been a top sex therapist, what, his, uh, what he sees as the behaviors of great lovers. And one of the things that he said, a lot of great lovers, their number one thing is not intercourse. What it is is how they are able to make one another feel. And he talked of the behaviors of, of great lovers, that they touch a lot. They, they kiss one another and really kiss. But, he, you know, so he said sometimes as a result of certain things that have occurred, you know, as they got older, there are things in their body that change. So they had to change the type of lover that they were. And to go back to how important all of this is often for men and the same thing for women because, you know, really we're born of sexuality and yet the, and often someone finding you desirable is one of the most powerful ways that you respond and know what your, you know, what your sexual, you know, um, response is for those partners that you're attracted to. I just want to touch, when you spoke of the interest, no interest being there, Rosemary Buffon, University of BC, has put together the awareness that for many women, the interest thing isn't there kind of like, ooh, let me go over and jump on that person. But the moment that they get into the activity of it, then the interest level is there. Then, you know, then it, it clicks in. But... And I think we've been sold a bill of goods that we have to have things be sort of like on an automatic button push, boop, sort of like, you know, let's go to the vending machine, boop, here comes my interest, here comes arousal. That's not how we operate. We have so many things going on in our lives. Well, you know, I think interest is the easiest thing to overcome, but if you have interest but difficulty with arousal, then I think a whole, a really complex set of coping changes alterations are going to be needed to deal with that. And then, you know, you're dealing with a lot of insecurities, and it's not just a matter of cognitive override for the lack of interest. Now you're going to have to do sort of like uh, alterations and usual behaviors. And I think that's... But, you know, I, I, I think that rather than just sitting around with your sexual dysfunction and going from doctor to doctor asking for a pill that might or might not work mm-hmm. and have its own side effects, um, really there has not been an adequate uh, focus on just the pure... It's not, I, mean, I don't want to say psychotherapy, but sex therapy. Just the pure... Um, analysis of, well, what's the change been, and how can I still be a satisfied, happy person, even though maybe not as happy as satisfied as I'd be if things weren't different? I mean... Well, I mean, did you, I mean, and Stuart, was it you in your presentation that said that over 75% of antidepressants are prescribed off-label, meaning they are prescribed for something that there was no drug trial and no testing for? God, did I give that number? If mm-hmm. I gave it in that seminar, I researched it, but that seems high. Still, um, 
the off-label prescribing is, is quite large. I mean, there, I've seen people who were given Paxil and told it was for post-operative recovery. Oh, um, yoy, yoy. How about the number of things given to women who are perimenopausal? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to touch that one, but yeah, <laughs> no, there's, that a one. Lot of, uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of creams you can smear on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> really? Now, here's the question. If we are speaking, you know, myself as a sex educator, giving someone things, if arousal is the issue, are we talking arousal for the stimulation of the actual nerve area. So are we talking if you are not able to either with manually or with your partner, does that mean then that you need to just have more stimulation? Do you need a stronger vibrator? Do you need something put in a different area? Because I know for many women, when they go through perimenopause and menopause, the drop of estrogen, it's kind of like, hey, what happened to my orgasms? They, you know, they used to be, woohoo, and now they're like this, loop. <laughs> they're like, and so they often need stronger forms of stimulation in order to get, you know, the, an, uh, you know, the same orgasmic response. Is that what we're speaking about here with arousal? Well, you know, I think it's a little bit of everything because it is true. There are some people who need more stimulation, um, and then there are some people who report that their genitals, male and female, feel numb. That they're, no matter yeah. what you do to it, it's never going to really react. react. And is it, uh, is it only the genital area for them that is numb, or is it the area also around in the more groin area? Gosh, I, I don't know. You know. I'm thinking of case reports that I've read, but I can't, I don't remember asking anybody about that in particular. But, I mean, what they're telling me is that if you touch their genitals where it used to be sensitive, it's no longer sensitive at all. Almost kind of like a scar tissue. There's no, it's numb. There's something been cut off. But, you know, uh, that's, and then there's all these people where it's just less sensitive and more stimulation is really the answer. Now, if, mm -hmm. do you think that estrogen or testosterone, and this is one of the questions that I sent you, do you think there's a protective, you know, part of that within our own bodies that protects us from the impact of these medications? Like if you talked about being younger um, and children getting them off these medications and they seem to have an easier time going off of it, is it that there's more, that they're younger, there's greater neuroplasticity, younger tissue that regenerates more quickly? Yeah, I just think it's, I think it's the younger tissue probably pops back quicker, uh, I don't know. I don't really know that, but um, I think that that the drugs have differential effects on people. So I mean, there's, there's children; it doesn't pop that quickly on too. You know. Mm -hmm. Are there any websites that you might recommend for people to go to and start doing their own research on what they can do for themselves or for their partners? For the sexual dysfunction, mm -hmm. there is there's a Yahoo group, and okay. the the they the group is the topic is called PSSD for post serotonin sexual dysfunction. So uh, it's it's like Peter Sam Sam David. 
Yeah, that's that's what you would look up to find the the Yahoo group and join it. I think they have the most information of all sorts on the subject. Okay. And are they? Is this just the anecdotal, or are there also um, professional people who might make a comment on it? It's anecdotal, but okay. I kind of give it my seal of approval for consumer information. I think they do a good job. Okay. You know, another one, for, for people coming off the drugs, the website that I like the most is another consumer, non-professional one called PaxilProgress.org. Ah, yes. Okay. PaxilProgress.org. Okay. Now, we have approximately two minutes left, Stuart. One of the things I want people, if you would like to see... Dr. Shipko in action, you can go to www.sexsmartfilms.com, and that is Dr. Mark Schoen's uh, sexuality film site, again, sexsmartfilms.com, and the title of the film, if I'm not mistaken, Stuart, is Libido Lost? Yes, it is. And you can see, and Dr. Shipko will go through the things as he addresses them for people, and it's kind of like a, a, a little Cliff Notes version for people to see the impact and, you know, what are you know, the things that many people are addressing. And I think, Stuart, that the idea that you discussed previously with, um, with, uh, with Lori is outstanding. I think that's a great idea, and I'm sorry to those of you. This is something that we did off of the break. For everyone, my guest this evening has been Dr. Stuart Shipko. Stuart, if people would like to get in contact with you, how do they do so? They should just Google me. Okay, and Shipko is, Stuart is S-T-U-A-R-T. Shipko is S-H-I-P-K-O. He's located in Pasadena, California. And thank you, everyone, for being here with us this evening. If you have any other questions, you can reach me on my website, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, and I will be back here next week. Thank you so much for being with us. Stuart, thank you for thank being you here. for being a part of Sex great. Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget.